listening to the sermon podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Today's scripture lesson is from Genesis 4, 1 through 16. If you'd like to follow it uh, along, I believe it's on page 3. Cain murders Abel. Now the man knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have produced a man with the help of the Lord. Next she bore her, his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a tiller of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of fruit of the ground, and Abel, for his part, brought the first firstlings of his flock, their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was angry, and his countenance fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is lurking at the door. It desires for you, but you must master it. Cain said to his brother, Abel, Let's go out to the field. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened up its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When will you till the ground? It will no longer yield to you its strength. You will be a fugitive and wander on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Today you have driven me away from the soil, and I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer of the earth, and anyone who meets me may kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. Whoever kills Cain will suffer a sevenfold vengeance. And the Lord put Mark on Cain, so that no one who came upon him would kill him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Good morning, everyone. So as I was working on the sermon this week, I kind of looked ahead a little bit, and it occurred to me that October is going to be a really weird month for us sermon-wise. Uh, Last week, we talked about the fall in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve rebelling against God, being expelled from paradise, which is kind of a depressing story. It's a bit of a downer. And this week, it gets worse. We're looking at Cain and Abel, the first murder, and it's between two brothers. Really dark stuff. Uh, Next week, we're going to be looking at Lamech. He's a descendant of Cain, probably not as well-known character from the Bible. Uh, He killed a few more people. And we're going to be coupling that with this really weird uh, story in Genesis 6 about angels coming down from heaven, sleeping with women, and having these like hyper-violent human-angel hybrid babies. It's a weird story. It's going to be a weird couple of weeks here. Then we get to the flood, where God wipes out just about all life on earth. October is going to be an interesting month for us here in worship. 
But this is the Bible. One of the things I love about the Bible is it reflects real life. And sometimes life is dark and violent and senseless. And the Bible doesn't shy away from that. The Bible doesn't try to paper over things and present some rosy picture of reality. Sometimes life feels chaotic and meaningless and tragic. And the Bible reflects that in stories like this. Cain and Abel's story is a tragedy. It's brutal. Um, I put it right up there with like great tragedies like Macbeth, Hamlet, Romeo and Juliet. And like any good story, Cain and Abel's story starts with a a glimmer of hope, like any good tragedy. (laughs) A new baby has been born. Adam and Eve have been expelled from paradise, cursed, driven from their home, but now there's hope. Eve gives birth to a son. There's new life, hope for a fresh start, a new beginning, hope that maybe this generation will do things differently. Maybe this is the point where the story will turn around. And Cain's uh, Cain's name reflects that hope. Cain comes from the Hebrew word for acquire or create. It's a name that reflects possibility and strength, vitality, life, which is pretty ironic when you think about how Cain's story ends up. And his brother Abel's name is also pretty important. In Hebrew, Abel is pronounced Havel. Can I hear you all say Havel? Havel. Very good. And Havel is the word for vapor, like a puff of air, something that's here for a moment and then gone. Has anyone ever read the book of Ecclesiastes? I'm curious. Okay, some folks, that's good. You've got to read Ecclesiastes if you haven't. It's great. It's midway through the Old Testament. It's this really moody book. It reads like it was written by like a high school kid with like black nail polish. It's fantastic. Um, And Ecclesiastes opens up with this rant about how life is meaningless because nothing lasts. Everything fades away. And that word in Ecclesiastes, it gets translated meaningless or vanity, depending on your Bible translation. That's Havel, Abel, vapor. One son's name reflects strength, life, vitality, and the other reflects how nothing lasts. This sets up the conflict between these two brothers really well, but it also clues us into the fact that Abel is not going to be with us for very long. This story is a pretty important one in the Bible. It kind of serves as a touchstone. There are echoes of this story through the rest of Genesis and really through the rest of of Scripture. Cain's the older brother. Abel's the younger one. And yet God sides with Abel. God favors Abel's offering. And this establishes a sort of pattern that we're going to see play out a lot in Scripture with God favoring the younger brother. God favors Isaac over Ishmael, Jacob over Esau, Joseph over his brothers. And that's really backwards, especially in that culture at that time. The older brother was the favorite. That's the one who got the biggest inheritance and usually grew up to lord over their brothers. But this story is introducing us to this tendency of God to favor the meeker, the lesser, the marginalized, oftentimes over and against the powerful. Abel's a shepherd, and shepherds were not viewed very positively in this society. Uh, Most people in that time, it was agrarian culture. They worked the fields like Cain. 
Um, and shepherding was a dirty job. It was usually done by poor people, uh, very blue collar. And yet we find in the Bible that God has this thing for shepherds. Jacob was a shepherd. Moses was a shepherd. King David was the shepherd. Jesus is called the good shepherd. And even the darker parts of this story get echoed later in the book of Genesis. Cain is jealous of his brother, so he takes him out into a field and he kills him. Fast forward a few dozen generations, and you get the story of Jacob and Esau. They're two brothers. Esau's the oldest. He's a man of the field. He's strong and powerful, lots of body hair, which the Bible actually tells us. While Jacob's the younger brother, he's a shepherd, and he's a mama's boy. That's also spelled out in the Bible. Maybe not in those words. And Jacob and Esau's father becomes very old, he's blind, and Esau goes out to the field to hunt down some game to prepare a meal for his father. But Jacob tricks his father, puts on his brother's clothes, and gets him to give him the blessing, the, uh, the inheritance, the promised inheritance that should go to his older brother Esau. And Esau hears this news when he's in the field, and he burns with jealousy and hatred against his brother, and he decides to kill him. Jacob has to flee for his life. Jump forward one more generation, still in the book of Genesis. Jacob's all grown up. He's patched things up with Esau, but now he has sons of his own. And the youngest one, Joseph, this is the guy with the coat of many colors, if you know that story, Joseph's the favorite, and he has a bunch of older brothers who don't like him very much. And then Jacob sends Joseph to get his brothers when they're in the field, and they see Joseph coming, and they start planning to kill him. This history repeats itself. There are patterns of evil, patterns of destruction, and also patterns of blessing at play here that are way bigger than Cain and Abel. This story is not just a story about two brothers. There are ideas at play here, realities that run deep in our collective story as God's people. And I want to just highlight three of those big ideas today. First is, this story has something to tell us about sin. We talked about sin last week with Adam and Eve, how sin is rooted in rebellion against God, how it breaks down our relationships and robs us of peace, robs us of shalom. And that's different from how we usually talk about sin, like culturally, and especially in the church. People tend to think about sin as in, like, these bad things we do that make us bad people. Uh, in many churches, we talk about sin like it's this unavoidable condition, something that infects all of us, leaving us these wretched, broken, evil creatures, like we can do nothing other than sin. If you've been around at different churches, you've probably heard a message like this at one time or another, that you're no good, that you can't even choose to do good because there's something fundamentally wrong with you. We talk about sin in the church like it's inevitable. But look at how God addresses sin in this passage. Second half of verse 7, God's talking to Cain. Sin is lurk lurking at your door. Some translations add ready to strike. Its desire is for you, but you must master it. Abel's death is not a foregone conclusion in this story. There's nothing inevitable here. 
Cain doesn't have to do evil. He isn't broken. Cain has a choice. Sin is like this wild beast waiting for him outside of his tent, ready to devour him. He can open the door and let it in, or he can tame it. With God's help, he can master it. He can choose to do good. It's almost as if this text is saying that people can be held accountable for their actions. Imagine that. This gets at how we think about things like holiness and discipleship, following Jesus. Sin is not inevitable. We can choose, with God's guidance through the power of the Holy Spirit, to do what is right. We can draw a line in the sand and say, no, that's a line I'm not willing to cross. The only question is, do we have the will to do it? Will we tame sin, or will we let it devour us? The choice, as it turns out, is ours, at least according to this story. So that's one deep idea that runs through this passage. Another has to do with the connection between our vertical relationships and our horizontal relationships. Let me tell you what I mean. By vertical relationship, I'm talking about our relationship with God, because God is up there somewhere, right? And by horizontal relationships, I'm talking about our relationships with other people. There's a connection between those two that this story is deeply concerned about. The problems with Cain and Abel go way deeper than a sacrifice. You don't kill your own brother over a sacrifice. That's crazy. And their names get at this deeper struggle between these two brothers. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has this really famous teaching. He says, when you're offering your gift at the altar... If you remember that your brother has something against you, stop. Leave your gift at the altar and first be reconciled with your brother. Cain and Abel had no business offering sacrifices. This tragedy would have been avoided, could have been avoided, if they had put that energy into resolving whatever conflicts were going on between the two of them. Because until that horizontal relationship gets fixed, it's going to impact the vertical one. How many of us put religious observance ahead of tackling the very real, horizontal, relational conflicts in our lives? We come to church every Sunday, we smile, we sing songs, you listen to me talk about God knows what for 20 minutes. Meanwhile, there are very real conflicts outside of church in our lives that are tearing us apart. Maybe you need to take a Sunday off from church and use that time to call on a strange child or to apologize to someone you've wronged or to go out to brunch with a neighbor or maybe a family member that you've neglected. Leave your gift at the altar. It's okay. The church will be here when you get back. But first go and be reconciled with your brother. Wasn't sure if anyone would get up there. I guess we're good. (laughs) Um, One more really deep truth that I think this story has for us, and it has to do with how we relate to God. Cain assumes that God is a tyrant. That's kind of his working assumption. He thinks religion is all about appeasing God, having the best offering, jumping through hoops. 
doing whatever it takes to make God happy, to make sure that God accepts us. The murder of Abel, in that sense, is a sort of sacrifice. It's a sort of offering. Cain has this competitive view of God. He wants to be the best, and he wants his offering to be the best, no matter the cost. And it's that competitive view of God that leads Cain down this destructive path and leaves him wholly and truly lost by the end of the story. Jesus tells a story similar to this one. It's about two brothers. One brother was responsible. He worked really hard to please his his father. This brother did what was expected of him. The other brother was kind of a loser. He was a fool. He took his half of the estate and sold it and went out and squandered the money on, like, meaningless debauchery. And then when that prodigal son returns home, humbled, starving, penniless, looking to offer himself as a slave to his father just to survive, the father sees his son coming in the distance, and he runs out to him, and he kisses him, he embraces him, he puts a ring on his finger, and the father throws this huge banquet for his son who's returned. But where's the other brother? Where's the responsible one who stayed home and did what his father wanted him to? Oh, that's right. He's in the field, seething with anger and jealousy against his brother. And we all know where that leads. But there's a twist when Jesus tells a story. The father, who I think it's safe to say is the God character in this story, runs out to the field and meets his son there, much like he ran out to the other son when he came home. And the father pleads with his son to join the party. He says, your your brother was lost, but is now found. But as for you, you were always with me, and all that I have is yours. Two contrasting pictures of God. Which will we believe? Which will we live into? Which will we allow to reshape our hearts and our lives? Is God a tyrant who expects bigger and bigger acts of sacrifice? A God who expects us to compete with each other to please him? Or is God a loving parent who throws a banquet in our honor when we come home and begs us to join the party? Are we doomed to wander the earth in the way of Cain? Or will we follow the way of Jesus? Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with us on Facebook at Brockport First Baptist, on Twitter at BrockportFB, and on our website brockportfirstbaptist.org. Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. This has been a production of Brockport First Baptist.